0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. You're listening to my friend, Ash Roy. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to
1: systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com.
0: Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hey everyone, today I have the absolute honour of inviting John Edwards, an Olympian, a business owner, a blogger, a husband and a dad to two beautiful children. John's been on ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Details Magazine, CBS and NBC and today he's going to talk to us about how you can take the techniques Olympians use to make your life and your business better, to increase your productivity and dramatically improve your performance. Now, John and I have a lot to talk about, so this is going to be a two-part interview. So strap in, listen up, and share it with your friends so this information can go out to as many people as possible. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Jonathan Edwards, who represented the United States in the sport of luge in the Olympics. Welcome, Jonathan.
1: Ash, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be on.
0: Awesome. So, Jonathan, can you give us a brief overview on your business and your journey to date?
1: Well, Ash, you know, it's kind of a little convoluted. You know, you would think that an Olympian uh, would be a success. And then what they tell us while we're being an athlete is that, hey, if you make it to the Olympics, you're going to be successful in anything. And that's really not true. So my story is really kind of a roundabout way. Uh, right now, I'm, uh, I'm a dad. I got two kids. I got a beautiful wife. And we have a, a business, a, a furniture and interior design business, which makes all sorts of sense as an Olympic athlete, right? So but I'll back you up. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was looking to make a comeback into the Olympics. And I moved my whole life to Las Vegas Mm -hmm. and uh, to work with a strength and conditioning coach. And this guy was a pretty well-known guy in the uh, fitness industry. And I met him online and I basically said, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Would you train me? Because I was broke. I had no money. Starving athlete story, right? So I packed up my truck and I moved to Las Vegas where I soon learned that this expert in fitness, this strength and conditioning guy – He had no trainees. He was not training anybody. He was basically writing and making a great living, writing his thoughts for all these big fitness magazines and making about six figures a year. Wow. While I was there, you know, one day he said, uh, hey, you know, you're a smart kid. You know, I I know these people who have these big kind of information businesses. Could you help me create that business, create a business like that. And so that led me into the world of marketing. And, and I quickly became just kind of infatuated with marketing and specifically marketing information, Uh you know, basically taking someone who's an expert in their niche. And then this was a long time ago. It feels like everybody's doing that now, but back then it was kind of uncommon. So, you know, we, we created like books and tapes and, and seminars and membership sites and forums and things like that. And we basically grew his business during that time while I was in Vegas, I, I met my wife on a plane from Salt Lake to Vegas. And I moved to you know, she was Canadian. So I picked up and I moved myself to Canada where I couldn't work for two years. So but what I was doing was I was doing copywriting for a bunch of guys in the US. And during that time I had a lot of downtime. And so I was a voracious reader. And I had gotten I'd been in sales a little bit prior to making my comeback into into sport. And I was basically in all these, you know, self-help and sales training and motivation. And all it did was get me really confused. I think a lot of people complicate what it takes to be successful and to make things happen. And so once I got my permanent residency in Canada and I could start to work, I did what any other normal person would do is my wife and I, we bought a betting store. So this little <laughs> fifteen hundred square foot boutique, you know, it, it sold duvets and pillows and sheets and fabric. Like, yeah, I was all over that, right? But we grew that, and that was ten years ago. Now we took it from fifteen hundred square feet to eight thousand square feet to a couple million dollars in sales. Wow! And then now we're actually transitioning out of that a little bit, and we're I'm getting back into what I love, which is speaking on kind of, you know, motivation and self-help and success, which everybody comes to me, they say you're an Olympian. You should be able to talk on that stuff. So I, I can't, I, I do, but also I have my, I have my other website, the thebusinesscalledyou.com where we've got a podcast coming and, and I help package those. So I know that's a long, a little bit longer than you're expecting, but it really kind of tells you where I'm at now Absolutely. and kind of how I got here. And it wasn't really a straight path.
0: Sure. That's That's really interesting. I mean, I I appreciate you going into that much detail because it is such an engaging story. So it, it wasn't like we always assume it is where, you know, he's an Olympian. He can kind of do anything. It wasn't as simple as that where he just translated that Olympic success into business success. It was a little bit roundabout.
1: Totally. And I think one of the mistakes that I made coming out of sport was, you know, when you're in sport, there's people who are in sport that that are always in sport. They, you know, my one of my original teammates, uh, you know, went on to be a five time Olympian. He's now the head coach, and he's just he's, you know, he's he's in that path. Yeah. The other path is that people who aren't in sport tell you like if you don't go back to school, you're going to get stupid. Uh, and literally, they tell you that. So I I went back to school for a little bit, and but really, what I didn't take from my sport background was an understanding of really the things that made me successful as an athlete and believing that I, I could take that kind of that operating system, if you will, and transition it to something else. And I, I had done it a little bit in sales, but I didn't really know why or what I was doing. And I'll tell you, I think it took me about 10 years to really figure that out once I left sport to really kind of know what was going on and why. And why. So it was definitely not a straight path for sure.
0: So. Talk a little bit more about that, Jonathan. Tell us about what eventually you found worked. What were you able to pluck out from your Olympic ex- your excellence and bring into the business world that actually worked?
1: Well, here's what I realized. Is that, you know, I thought back to a time when I, it was the year after I'd competed in the Olympics. And that summer, uh, we were training harder than ever because our coaches had led us to believe, in, and, and rightfully so, that the year after the Olympics is a year where a lot of people just kind of relax. But if you can knuckle down and basically look at, at what I realized is your three key abilities. If you can look at those abilities, and then you, and I'll get into those in a second. I just want to tell you this story first. But that summer, so I took this attitude of like, okay, we're going to knuckle down, we're going to do this. And, and all I did was I watched the men's singles luge event, and it was one of the closest races in history. And basically over four runs, about four miles worth of track, the, the gold and silver medal was separated by about a hundredth of a second. Wow. That's not a lot of time, right? <laughs> that would that be the equivalent of like if you and I were driving down the highway and we're doing about 120 kilometers an hour. Right, that over about four miles, we would be separated by about 12 inches. Jeez, you know. And but what I realized watching those guys, yeah, what I realized those guys coming down the track was that they weren't doing the same thing. They weren't coming down on this kind of imagine this perfect run. They were doing what I realized was they were doing imperfect perfectly, right? So they were navigating this course, right? So we all pick a course in our life, right? So you have a course that you've picked. I picked a course owning a furniture company, right? But really to navigate that course successfully, you have three key abilities, there's a physical ability to do what it is you're doing on that track. There's a technical ability, which is really like you take the, you, you know, what you do and you figure out how to do it. Like what are the, you know, the X's and O's, so to speak. And, but the tactical ability is when do you do those things that you know how to do, right? So those three abilities are what you could take to any, anything. Any business, no matter what it is, any sports, uh, any hobby, there's those three key abilities, your physical ability, your technical ability, and your tactical ability. Now, what a lot of people focus on, what I realize as an athlete, we focus mostly on the physical ability, right? Mm-hmm. We just, we, we're working out, we're training, we're eating right. We're doing all those sorts of things. We spend less time on the technical side because we have coaches that really work with our equipment and our sleds. So we basically delegate that to somebody else to do it for us, right? Then I didn't understand at all about delegation. Like I had no clue that that's really what I was doing as an athlete was delegating all this stuff to somebody right. else. But then our coaches help us with the tactical ability. They're the ones that tell us, okay, as you're coming down the track, you're going to steer here, not here, hold up here, down there. And that's going to allow you to navigate the track successfully. But here's the kicker. And this is what I didn't understand at all, is that when you are taught the tactical stuff, you need to have a belief in your abilities. So this is kind of like the fourth what I call the sleeper ability is that you can have the best physical ability, you can have the best technical ability and the best tactical ability. But if you don't have confidence in what it is you're doing or if the leadership in your organization doesn't have confidence, you can have the best trained people out there, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So those three abilities and that fourth sleeper ability, the belief is really what I realize now, you know, no matter what I do, I look at, you know, that Okay, it's a new course, right? So, like right now for my wife and I, we're setting out on a new course, a new business and saying, okay, what do we have for physical abilities? And then what do we need that we don't have? What are our technical abilities? And then what do we need that we don't have? And then again, do we understand the tactics to be successful on this course? Yes or no? And if if it's a no, how do we get them? And so that's really how it all kind of comes together.
0: Well, there's a couple of things that really jumped out at me when you were speaking, and I want to bring them out in a second. But I just have a question. When you say physical abilities, how would you see the physical abilities applying in, say, an online business environment?
1: Well, that's a great question. You know, and I think, you know, when we're working as a desk jockey, right, (laughs) you know, like, you know, we're basically sitting at a computer all day. It's kind of easy to, to think that, hey, Other than type, you know, moving my fingers and staying awake all day, what physical abilities do I need? And this is where, you know, this bugs me a lot is that, you know, in North America, you know, where, you know, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Calgary, Alberta, Canada is a very fit city. It's a very healthy city. However, there's still pockets of obesity and people are working themselves into this hole and they're totally not even conscious of the fact that if they were better physically... You know, if they're better physically at what they did, then they would be more productive. Now, the thing right now in the United States, the elections are, you know, they're starting the basically the election, the pre-election to the 2016 presidential election, right? And that's just a mess to watch, right? I just, you know, it drives me crazy. <laughs> and But recently, the younger brother of George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr. was quoted as saying that Americans need to work harder. They need to work more. Hmm. So that... Brought up this firestorm. Really, the answer is no, you don't have to go from a 40 hour work week to a 50 hour work week. It's just that, you know, if you looked at what you did on a daily basis and how productive you were, right, and how well you did what you did, then you would take that, that time that you have now, that you spend working, that people think they're spending working. You know, people think they're working, but they're taking like 25-minute work breaks when they're supposed to get 15 minutes. You add that up in the course of a, a week, a month, a year, across hundreds of thousands of employees, that is a huge burden on the companies Absolutely. alone. Right, you know, if we could take that, so now you got somebody who's sitting at their desk and they've got a you know they rolled out of bed, they've thrown a pop tart in their mouth, and they've you know they're sitting in their car for fifty minutes, which is the average here in the in North America. They're getting to work they're they're chatting with their coworkers for a while, they're plunking themselves down at their desk now, here's the thing that bugs me as as an employer, when I've hired people, one of the things that I've always said is that once you get the resume and you do that first interview and that's the best you're ever going to see somebody. Yeah. Right. Right. It's I I joke with my wife. I'm like, it's all downhill from here. Right. And and basically, because it's true, right? People, they do their hair. They smell nice. They brush their teeth. They they, they put on their best outfit. Right. So true. And they come in and they tell you they tell you that, hey, uh, you know, in my last job, I did this, this and this and I did X and I was was responsible for X, Y and Z. And I did that. But, you know, Ash, what blows me away is that people aren't getting any better. Yeah. They're at the things that they do. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit offline. But I believe that the quality and the quantity of the things that you can process in your life Is gonna make you successful. So, you know, if if you're just processing paperwork during the day, you can kiss that job goodbye in about five years, right? You know, technology is gonna blow a lot of these people out of the water. And when people wonder, like, well, how can I improve my physical ability? Just think of this. If your job involves any sort of physical ability that can be replaced by a robot for cheap, you gotta rethink yourself, right? But I'm getting a little bit off track. Here's the thing is that, you know, in the United States there's so many people that are obese. Like I don't, I don't know the latest numbers but it's a lot. And you got to tell me something when you're lugging around when when people are chronically obese, they're lugging around a whole second person.
0: That is such right? a as good point. Athlete, right. I never <laughs> if, if, thought of it that if, way as, but you're absolutely right.
1: It just bogs you down, yeah, you know, and yeah. you might be thinking you're sitting in a chair all day. Ash, one of the things I did when I moved up to Canada, when I got my permanent residency was, uh, you know, I was a strength and conditioning coach. Having worked with some of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world, I started a business training young athletes to be stronger athletes. But always, what always floored me was that the parents typically weren't athletic, mm-hmm. right? It was rare. And so as parents teaching kids or reinforcing what they're learning from at the time, me, the teacher, it was so hard. And and we're in a lifestyle like that. So if people could just take what they know, and you know what, Ash, this is one that blows me away. I'll share with you a quick story. When I was young, my best friend was at Yale University. And, and you might know like Yale is an Ivy League school. It's a very, you know, a lot of great people go to that school. Yep. It's a very smart school. And um, I was visiting him one day, I was getting recruited to play lacrosse there. And yeah. so I wasn't as smart as my buddy, Mike, but I went and while he was going off to class, I said, hey, can I borrow your computer and check my email? And he said, sure, no problem. And so he left and I got on his computer and Ash, the computer, the, the, death, the, the keyboard didn't work. I would press <laughs> A and I would get a whole different letter. <laughs> and i was like i got so frustrated i couldn't figure this out i'm like what the heck so mike comes back like 2 hours later and all i've done is watch tv and yeah. mike goes hey did you get your email checked i said no what the hell's up with your computer
0: yeah
1: and he goes oh i didn't tell you i've got a Dvorak keyboard <laughs> do you do you know what a Dvorak keyboard is ash it's it's different do, to a you know
0: uh, the standard as what is it a asdfg whatever Quirty. keyboard it's a QWERTY keyboard thank you
1: yeah so, so you know do you know why we use a QWERTY keyboard? Do you know? A lot I, of people don't.
0: I I do remember reading about this but I have actually forgotten. Tell me.
1: No problem. I don't want to put you, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, 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 go. that's cool. That's cool. So uh, so the keyboard that we use today was originally designed in the old keyboard, like the, the typewriters that had the arm that went up and hit the ink ribbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there's anybody younger than me on this thing, you're probably <laughs> going like, what the heck was that? Google it. Google like the original keyboard. Here's the thing is the reason the, the keys are arranged on the keyboard was to slow things down so that the arms didn't cross up.
0: Oh, right?
1: So right. so they spaced the letters you know, using like the letters of the, the English alphabet yeah. going like, OK, well, this is the frequency of these letters. This is the frequency of these letters. So, well, if somebody's typing these letters too quickly, it's never going to work. They're going to get crossed up and, 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 and you'd have to reach your hand in and oh, flick the arm right, down right, and right. start over. Got it. But, Ash, we don't need that anymore. Absolutely. Do we? No, absolutely right. There's not. nothing holding back. So the Dvorak keyboard and everybody's got it on their computer right now. You just got to go into settings and keyboards and you can find it. Cool. It is the most efficient way to type. Now, what does like the world do mostly during the day? We're all typing. Yeah. But none of us have learned this more efficient typing system. Hmm. And my buddy Mike taught himself that, and this was back in like the late 80s, right? But he's a writer now. He's a writer in Los Angeles, writing movies and scripts and stuff like that. But Ash, you know, in terms of productivity, you know how much the world would change if we learned how to oh, use yeah. the the Dvorak typing system? But that's a physical ability. That's a physical ability to do what it is you do. What you a know? great point. So whether you're a... You know, if you're a doctor and you're dealing with client, if you're dealing with patients, there's a physical ability there to process the information and to then to basically deal with it and make sure it gets to the right person next, right? Yep. Yep. Now, computers are going to change a lot of that and we know that. But, you know, back to just kind of being physically better to do what you do. You know, how can you improve the processing of what you do on a daily basis? How can you improve the quality of what it is you process? Because I'll tell you something, Ash. You know, when when I was doing luge, we go to one track in the world. Like, let's say we were in Calgary on the luge track here, and we were learning the skills on how to negotiate that track successfully. Then we would go to another track. And and a, a mistake that my coaches made with me and my teammates when I was young was to say, well, like, well, there's new stuff you got to learn to do this track. That's not really true. When you have a physical ability that works on one track, there's a lot of that you can transfer to another track that leads to a different result. And so a lot of people nowadays, you know, they, they get downsized, they lose their job and they're like, oh no, mm. I got to learn all new skills to get a new job. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes yes, a lot of times no. If you can just process and understand your three key abilities to make that happen and you can improve the quality of what you can process hmm. you make more money you have a better more secure job and then you're moving up the ranks and it's a whole different picture so, so you got that to makes ask yourself on,
0: absolutely so you got to ask yourself what can i transfer from my previous career to the new situation rather than just going oh my god i've got to learn a whole bunch of new skills
1: Exactly. And, and I think what's going to happen, Ash, you know, we, we were talking about this, Like, you know, right now, it, it, so I read a lot of kind of future think, right? Like, you know, I, you know, I've got two young kids, my son's about to turn 10, my daughter's seven, and I worry for them. Yeah. Because in, in, in no time in history, are we going to see the change? You know, like, like, how many years ago was it when we went from not having a phone in our pocket, to now having the ability to call somebody halfway around the world like it's nothing, right? And and here's what's gonna happen in the next five, 10 years, there's like three billion people are gonna be online. Yep. The collective conscience of the world is gonna, and a lot of people don't believe this, but it's gonna create wealth and it's gonna create sharing of information at an unprecedented speed. And you and I were talking about this IBM chip that just came out that's gonna yep. be four times that. For people that know Moore's Law, where the mm-hmm. computer chip basically doubles in speed and halves in cost about every 12 to 18 months, yep. this is accelerating that even further. Exactly. So all we're going to see now is the people that have the ability to process and understand and manage change, right? Man, I hate that term, by the way, you manage change. Now, yep. You just got to be have the abilities to be able to understand it and then move forward because People – we're already seeing this with Uber and taxi driver, like all sorts of stuff, right? The world is changing so fast. So as a dad with kids, what I'm trying to do for my kids is not for them to necessarily learn English and learn math and and learn science. I need them to be able to communicate effectively to understand bigger problems, right? And to to be able to negotiate as all this stuff comes flying at them because the people who don't have that ability to process that information – Are going to be left behind in a big, 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 big
0: way. Absolutely. There's something else that I think is really, really going to be important coming down in the future. With the volume and speed of information that's going to be coming at us, I think the winners are going to be the people who have the ability to know how to eliminate noise. So being able to apply the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, which I've got a few podcasts about and a few videos about on my site, you know, that I think is going to be really important in fact, I just created a tutorial on my website about a time management and I said hint it 's not about managing time i don 't believe I think time management is a misnomer it 's a it 's a hangover from the you know a few decades ago when they did these time and motion studies in factories and people like Taylor, these scientific management theorists were managing people 's you know movements on a factory floor and it was all like a big brother situation but that is no longer relevant in today 's day of information overload. What matters is not time management, it's information management, it's energy management, which comes back to what you were saying about being physically together. It's about being able to say no to enough things so you actually can get enough sleep and you can actually function at your optimum rather than being sleep deprived. I wrote this article about you know, seven ways poor sleep is killing you in your career, and that was very popular because people are actually severely sleep deprived and shortening their lives through sleep deprivation. They wear the sleep deprivation like a badge of honor, which I think is a big mistake, and it actually leads to massively unproductive behavior.
1: Ash, on so many levels, you're exactly right. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's about six things I could tang <laughs> just like go off of that, but I'll, I'll share the owning a betting store. Right, over the last 10 years, we learned a lot about sleep. We right. actually had a gentleman named Dr. Neil Stanley from England, who's a, a, one of the world's leading sleep experts, flew over, did a demonstration in our store to our clients. We sell a, a high end line of mattresses called Vispring. And I've learned so much about sleep. And, uh, you know, when I was a young athlete, and I've got hormones blowing through my body like you wouldn't believe and I can sleep six hours and go out and perform and and dust it off and I could take big naps and, and fall asleep like that. When we get into adulthood and if and if you got kids, it changes everything. But oh, you said yeah. something really important there is <laughs> that people wear it like a badge of honor. You know, people like to have a cross to bear. And it drives me crazy. You know, you talk to people, you know, and they say, Oh, you know, how you doing? Oh, my back's killing me. Like, you know, oh, this or oh that. Oh, it's hot today. You know what? Our words, our inputs that go into our head, whether they're from outside of us or they're our own, right? That go out our mouth and come back in we're just reinforcing a lot of negativity. Yep. And you're exactly right. You know, one thing one of the best bits of information I learned about sleep was, you know, a lot of people say oh, you need 8 hours of sleep. Well, that's not necessarily true. You need the amount of sleep that's right for you and it yep. typically comes in 90-minute cycles. For me, I know that It's about seven and a half hours. You know, Mm -hmm. if I've got a bad night's sleep, I'll wake up at about six hours and then I'll have a pretty rough day and I'll need a nap. If I get good sleep, seven and a half is perfect for me. I use an app on my phone called Sleep Time uh, that really helps because what it does, it it wakes you up when you're at the top of one of those cycles. So, you know, a lot of people, what do they do? They set their alarm clock for 630 in the morning because that's when they got to get up to get to work what a lot of people don't realize is that if they use like an app like sleep time on their phone and it measures how well, you know, where they're in their sleep cycle and it wakes them up at the top of that sleep cycle, you may actually have seven hours of sleep. You know, like, like let's say I went to bed right now and I set my alarm for eight hours. And so I I went through my seven and a half hours and now I'm in a deep sleep Hmm. and I get woken up at eight. You might feel worse than if you had you know, nine hours, right? Right. So the the key is defining the amount that's right for you. And it varies and it it changes as we age. So all this talk about, hey, you need eight hours and that's enough. It's not true. You could very well get by with five hours. That might be your number. Some people may need 10, you know. So I know that if I get a good night and I sleep in, nine hours is that number. And then I'm up. And, you know, and I'm rested, right? So, you know, you need to understand these things. The other thing, Ash, that you talked about is really important, this idea of managing basically all this stuff. We have a choice to what to focus on. And this was something that is looking back on my time as an Olympic athlete. You know, life is a timed event, right? I tell people, I joke when I talk in front of a group. I say, you know, okay, I was an only child. I was a goalie in every sport that I played. And I was an Olympian in a timed event. What does that say about me? And a lot of people joke and they say, ah, you were spoiled. <laughs> you know, the only <laughs> child thing. And I go, no, no, no. I'm really impatient. Because one of the things, when you're an athlete in a timed event, either the starter gun goes off or you go down that course, for that moment in time, you're doing something that you enjoy primarily. That's the mm-hmm. first key. You mm-hmm. know, overall, I look back on my time as an athlete. And I go, you know, for the most part, I was pretty happy. You know, I might have a good result, might have a bad result, but for the most part, I'm coasting along. I'm pretty happy. The lifestyle's great, you know, daily, I'm around people that I enjoy, travel in the world, it's a good deal, right? But for most of us, when we get into the work world, we're all kind of stuck here, looking for opportunities to get up here. Yeah right? And we get what I call lifestyle creep. You know, your paycheck takes you to here and your lifestyle comes right in behind it. That's it. And if you've got kids, you got no choice, right? And you're like, ah, you know, and it's work, 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 right? You know, so, so motivationally, psychologically, it puts us all in a pretty, not the best of places, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, is that when you enter that course, whatever it is, if you can focus on the task at hand, you know, and it doesn't, you know, when you can talk about books like, you know, flow, all right, or Stephen Kotler's book, "The Rise of Superman," which is a phenomenal book that I highly recommend. These books all talk about flow states. So, whether it's you know you're reconciling the accounting, you're trying to put together a marketing funnel, you know, or or you're basically trying to you're doing a podcast, the more efficient you can be in focus, you can be at that task. One, the better you'll be at it. the quality of what you do is good. But then also, how quickly you get it done improves. Yes. Right? It's so about being re- in the present that's a moment. Resourcing.
0: Sorry. Uh, I think it's yeah. very much about being fully in the moment. And that is one of the biggest problems that we have today because we have information overload. We're trying to multitask. I'm majorly against multitasking. I believe very much in unitasking. I think multitasking is disastrous. And I think the more you are in the moment and you decide, this is what I'm working on now, and I, you don't think of anything else, the more productive you're going to be
1: you have to commit to the task and i think what ends up happening especially for those of us that work on our own is that you know i feel for people that don't have opportunity in their life like i feel for people that that don't have opportunity but the reason they don't have opportunity is they don't have enough quality inputs going into their head mm-hmm. right they're all just watching the news they're filling themselves full of negativity but you know if you're filling yourself with if you're reading as much as you can you know from experts in their field no matter no matter what the field if you're spending time around good quality people that's going to change your inputs and it's going to change the way you think then that's going to allow you to come back at those tasks and commit to it knowing this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it for people that work in a job and they're trying to get out of that job a lot of times they're thinking about how much their job sucks yeah. right yeah. whereas if they just focused on it you know if they just you know you could be swinging a hammer but if you improve your efficiency in swinging that hammer, you would get more nails, you know, yep. driven. You'd get more stuff built and you'd be on the path to actually probably having your own company faster instead of going, god, this job just sucks, yep. right? And, and not only that, do. you're
0: also more likely to enjoy it if you completely focus on what you're doing because I believe that a lot of work satisfaction comes from complete commitment. I, I believe that true freedom lies in complete commitment. And what I mean by that is it's about being, com- you, when you're completely committed to a task in the present moment, you're completely free to give yourself to that particular moment and that particular task. And when you're trying to do 15 things at once, you suffer from the paradox of choice, which actually is the opposite of freedom. It's a trap. It's not about freedom. It actually, it is. It actually just dis- dissipates your energy and it just drains you.
1: Uh, You know, I'd be lying, Ash, if there weren't days when I said, "You know what? I'd like to just go build some houses. (laughs) Like I'd work as a construction worker just for the peace of mind it might give me for just a little bit of time, right?" But you're exactly right. You know, the bottom line is—is I mean, you can be committed. Like I, I use this analogy, right? You could be committed to chopping down a redwood tree right? Like those big trees in California, yeah. those big, they're massive, right? You can be so committed that you're going to chop down that tree, but you could be doing it with a sledgehammer, yep. right? Not the right tool. Great point. A lot of people are doing that, right? You know, they're going, oh, just, I got to get this tree down. I got to get this tree down. Whereas if they went out and they realized they got the input that they needed to say, well, you know, wait, you know, and this is another thing about life being a timed event. As an athlete, You get down to the bottom of the run and you look up at the clock and the clock tells you how you did. There's no emotion, right? There's nothing good or bad. You're not a good person. You're not a bad person. It just gives you a time. And so from that, then you go, you look back at how you just did, how you just navigated that run. And you look at your physical ability, your technical ability, your tactical ability, and you say, what could I have done better You know, because when you take that approach to things and you really, and you time yourself and you, and you basically give yourself, you know, deadlines and things like that, you say, listen, you get critical and nobody's really critical about what it is they do. The other thing is that in sometimes as an athlete, you crash. I've got burns on my elbow. I still have scars from third degree burns that I got from crashing on ice. A lot of people don't think that on ice there's heat, but there's friction. You know, when you're doing 120 kilometers an hour and you're on your butt, Right. You're burning. But so what is that? That's feedback. You know, on our daily basis in in work, a lot of people don't get that feedback. Managers are too chicken when it comes to managing an employee because they're worried about getting sued. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we've become, you know, especially in North America, we've become a nation of of wusses because, you know, we're afraid. We're afraid to tell people really what's what they're doing wrong We're afraid that they're going to say, you know, and and this happens with parents and their kids, especially in the U.S. now, like kids, you get a failing grade and parents go and they want the teacher fired. Yeah, You know, so these people are coming in the workforce with basically the wrong idea about productivity, the wrong idea about managing resources and staying focused because it comes from the bottom up and the top down. And uh, you need good feedback so that you can adjust what is you're doing and be able to know what to focus on, know what to commit to, and then have that, as you said, have that freedom to just dig in and go. yeah, right and then look back and say, how did I do? I think That's an important
0: part of being able to do that, or an important way to do that is to separate the task selection from the task execution. So I think having a period of time when you say, okay, This is my landscape of work. These are the things that I'm going to focus on. And once you've made that decision, just go for it and don't reassess while you're working on the task. Sure, you might want to go back at the end of the day and end of the week or whatever cycles you work in to reassess whether you should be working on these tasks or not. But if you keep reassessing and questioning what you're doing, and I'm guilty of this too, then you're going to actually dissipate. You're going to diffuse your focus and that's going to just be a waste of your time and reduce your effectiveness.
1: As an athlete, when you get on the course, you don't stop and go back to the top. Yeah, you you don't. You just you commit. You go all the way to the bottom, and then you look up at the clock and you get your score. Get your that's basically your grade, right? It doesn't. The other thing too about the about the clock is that you know the clock doesn't care how you did it. Yeah. You know when when I was really young, one of my first years doing luge. When you as an athlete, when you commit. When you go through the starting gate, yeah. you know, or the gun goes off, you've committed to that task, yeah. to that track. Now, the challenge that a lot of us have, especially when we're working for ourselves, right? A lot of people who are going to listen to this, they may have a job and they're trying to get get leverage on something else, right? They're yeah. trying to maybe create an ebook or create a program or something like that. Whether, they're just trying to get leverage, right? But what happens is they get home at the end of a tired day. Again, physical ability. Yeah. They're worn down. Willpower is low. They've got to now try to commit to this thing and their brain is tired because willpower is finite, right? You know, Willpower is, is, is a resource like a gas tank. And when you wake up in the morning, you got a bunch, but by the end of the day, you're kind of like, oh, you know what, that TV and that beer is looking really good right about now, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's be honest, right? So that's where, you know, I, I remember having a, a conversation with James Shramko about this yeah. because, you know, he he's a great example. You know, he was working as a manager of a Mercedes dealership. I can't imagine anything more stressful right? Working with a brand like that, of a caliber like that. And he's managing people, but he had the guts and the gall to basically say, you know what, this isn't enough for me and my family. This isn't the lifestyle that I want. So he would go home at the end of the night. And I said, James, how did you deal with that? How did you like, you know, what did you focus on? And he basically said that he focused on minimal things that he could knew he'd have a victory on every night. Right, And that's really true. You got to see progress. Now here's the challenge in everyday life. We don't see a lot of progress, right? We may do a blog post, you know, we may, you know, work on a webpage, but we're not seeing immediate results. Now, as an athlete, I saw immediate results every day. And one of the things about being in flow states and being in that happy environment is one thing is you need to be doing a task that's just... Slightly more complicated than what you're used to, right? In in athletics, it's usually about four percent more difficult. But we can't manage four percent. Yeah. If I wrote a blog post that's a thousand, pa- you know, a thousand words today, I'm not going to go. Well, I wrote a thousand forty tonight. I'm yeah. done. No, <laughs> we just don't have that response. And then the other part is that you got to see immediate feedback and we don't really get that. Now in work, hopefully you've got a manager that can give you that feedback. Hey, you know what? Today, Ash, you did a great job. You know, today Ash, no, you did a crappy job. Suck it up and get back here and, and work harder, work better. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like using the word work hard yeah. because people think they're they think they're already working hard. Yeah. But that's really not the case. A lot of people can work a lot harder. And as you mentioned, a lot of working about working about smarter is working more focused, hmm. committing to that task, eliminating putting the blinders on. You know, I would say this: when you're on a lose run and you're coming down at 120k, if you get distracted, and this happens a lot, because you, you get to a point where you're relaxed a little bit and you see your coach whiz by.
0: Yeah,
1: my, my Wolfgang Schadler was my coach, and he used to smoke cigarettes, and you could not only see Wolfie, you could see the glow on the end of his cigarette, yeah. and then you could smell the smoke two curves down. The problem was. <laughs> When you're young and that distracts you and you go, oh, there's Wolfie, that half second's gone by and now you've missed your steer for the next curve, you could crash, you could fly out of the track, right? So, you know, those are the things that we've got to manage, you know, and when you don't have something, one, that you're fully engaged in, right? A lot of times, a lot of the tasks that we do, they're not really all that exciting, are they? Right, you know, but if you can be engaged in it and you can see the result that's gonna come from that engagement. You're more apt to be engaged and stay engaged, but that's where people gotta clear their desk, they gotta turn off their phone, they gotta create a new desktop on their computer where are only looking at like one little word document, right? That's the thing. You know, I work a lot in t- in text documents, you know, and, and those basically those really ugly plain documents that are on every computer. Yeah, because I can put it on a screen. That's got nothing else. You know, environment trumps willpower.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Here's, Here's a clue that I think the listeners can use when they're working. If you are really busy, that is often, not always, but often an indicator of being a bit unfocused. I think when you're in the flow, when you're just focusing on one thing, you don't have that sense of busyness. You just have the sense of focus. And that's when you're probably concentrating. So when people tell me I'm really busy, I always think to myself, Are you busy because you're trying to do too many things at once? And busy does not equal effective. Busy just equals busy.
1: You're exactly right. You know, and, and again, it's that badge of honor thing. It's that yeah. cross to bear, right? You know, and, you know when I pick up my kids at school. And you run into another parent, what's the first they had? How's it going today? Oh, it's crazy. You know, we're off to soccer. We're off to this. We're off to that, right? Like, you know, but people like that. You know, people like to say that because it, it justifies, you know, gives them a sense of self-worth. Like, yeah. hey, I'm busier than you. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, what I'm thinking is like, well, how's your checkbook? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Cause, because cause we do. Like, I, you know, I, I can think of a half dozen parents, you know, for, for instance, at uh, my kid's school where they're crazy busy. Mm. You know, and, but here's one of the things that I think a problem we get into is it's lifestyle creep. You know, you can get into lifestyle creep in a bad way. You can also get into lifestyle creep in a good way where you're just overbooked. Like people don't know how to relax anymore, mm. you know, because especially for those of us who are entrepreneurs, there's always something we can do, right? There's always something to can do. I had a luge coach. He was a, guy, a kind of crazy guy from Italy named Carl Bruner, and he was the first kind of outside coach. We had, we had this guy Wolfie from Liechtenstein, but all the other coaches were American. And Carl was the first kind of non-American coach that we had. And he had coached the Italians for years. He'd coached Olympic champions and world champions. And he was a bit of a guru, but he was a crazy old cat, like (laughs) seriously. And the first thing he taught us when he got, when he saw us for about a week of training in Lake Placid, New York, he was like, you guys need to just learn how to stop and, and go take a nap,
0: yeah.
1: right? you got to go have a beer and go sit in the river. And he was teaching us all this craziness that to us was crazy. But, you know, once, once we started to do it and we understood recovery, you know, Ash, you know, people talk about high performance. Yeah. And I heard this pretty popular guy, you know, talking about high, high performance just the other day. He's got a lot of books out. If I mention his name, you know him in a heartbeat. But he said, you know, high performance is this sustained level of just being here, of being up all the time. And I'm sorry, that's a load of crap. Yeah. Because when you have this, all you get is here. Yeah. You ne you you have to have valleys to have peaks. Right. Right. So absolutely. So, you know, down in Australia where you're where you're at, you know. You guys love your endurance athletes, mm-hmm. right? You've got triathletes and swimmers, and they can just go for days, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but the, the, what we have in the United States is we have sprinters, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you take a triathlete who's who who can just go for hours, right? And you say, "Listen, I want to find out how fast you can run." Mm. They're never going to be able to know how fast they can run no. because they're always at this steady state, right? They, and they're just they're different things. Sprinters, they work in peaks and valleys so that they can find out how fast they can go. They find out they can really push it. Now, even with the triathletes, they rest too. I was just going to say that
0: because even triathletes and endurance athletes, they have phases. Like if you're running a marathon, I think there are times when you really sprint in the marathon, at least if not physically, at least mentally, and I've never run one myself. So maybe I'm talking through my hat here, but I, I used to be a runner and I know that there are some times when you really focus. You're in the flow and you're not really smashing it. You're just keeping in, you're in a trough for want of a better term. And there's other times when you're really flying. So There are peaks and troughs even in the endurance things. And I totally agree with you. I think humans and the world works in uh, cycles. You can't just function on a plane. And that is one of the problems with the stock market or expectations of the stock market. I know this is taking it completely somewhere else, but you know, we panic as a society if we have two consecutive quarters of economic, of, of not having economic growth. But that's bullshit. The truth of the matter is, you can't have continuous growth. And if you have those expectations, that's what's causing these crazy amounts of spiraling debt.
1: Yes, yes. And so, you know, a better analogy might be fatigue and recovery. Right. I think everybody, the, the majority of the workforce is operating in a fatigued state.
0: Beautifully right? we, put. Beautifully we put. We
1: work too long. We, we've got too many commitments with our kids. We don't get enough sleep. We don't eat well enough. So overall, the performance level is here, okay? So, but what people have difficulty with, and and you know those people that they're always on their phone, you know, they're never letting go. And, you know, learning how to meditate, you know, I don't meditate. Like, I'm not one of those guys that meditates. Uh, My wife does. But one of the things that I do is I visualize. And that's something that I learned as an Olympian was learning how to visualize the thing that I wanted to accomplish and taking some time to just kind of turn down right? Just kind of turn things off for a little bit and visualize how the day is going to go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that I forgot for years being an Olympian. Because as an Olympian, what I used to do is I would go to bed at night right before I went to sleep. I thought about my runs the next day that I was going to take the next day. I thought about what I was going to work on. Uh, I thought about it. Happening perfectly. I thought about it happening imperfectly on both sides of the track. And I did that right before I fell asleep because we all know what happens. Is your brain will basically find the solutions and will play that over in your head over and over again while you sleep. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you can go to bed. This doesn't mean this. You don't have to be an athlete to do this. You can be trying to figure out a solution to a, a business deal, you know, or maybe how to deal with your boss, right. Mm-hmm. And, and how to ask for a raise. But if you go to bed, visualizing, you know, thinking about that and you basically do, that you know there's you're just with your head on your pillow right hopefully there's no distractions there head on your pillow right but if you can visualize that successfully you have a better chance of seeing a successful outcome the next day than if you just you know you're reading the newspaper or you're, you're on your iPhone watching Facebook before you go to bed you know and then you finally crash out of exhaustion mm-hmm you know, that's just not productive living. And, and that's where people think they're working hard, but they're not.
0: Meditation is not the only way to actually increase your self-awareness. It's a great way, but it's not the only way. I've written quite a few articles on my website about mindfulness, and that is essentially meditation in action. And essentially, the practice is just about becoming self-aware by using your breath as an anchor and just being aware of what you're doing. You absolutely should be focused on what you're doing, but it's also having a certain sense of why you're doing what you're doing and what you're doing. So, for example, I'm now having a conversation with you on the podcast and I'm aware of the fact that I'm having this conversation. Rather than just doing it mindlessly, you do it mindfully and you're more likely then to make better decisions around what choices you make with how you spend your time. So a classic, a great example would be, you know, people who almost reflexively go and grab their phone because they don't know what else to do with themselves. And they end up just sitting there picking at that phone screen while they're supposed to be having a nice conversation over dinner with their wife or husband. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a bit more mindful of the fact that, okay, I'm having dinner here with my wife and I owe her the respect and the courtesy of not glaring at my phone, but just having a human conversation with her, you're more likely to have the downtime. You're more likely to have that human interaction, which I believe is very important. And you're more likely to be more in the moment. So I think it's about being mindful through the day while being focused.
1: You're exactly right. And you used you used a pretty interesting word there though, which was respect. Yeah. Now, I don't know what it's like down in Australia, but I'm sure it's pretty much the same it is up here. But we've got families, parents who are overworked, underpaid, super tired. They're spending all this time watching crappy TV shows, right? And they're passing on to their kids a real big lack of respect, not Absolutely. just for them, not just for others, but for themselves. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is we end up with this being mindful is a perfect word for it. You know, just you you talk about that person who says they're busy. They're busy. Well, what happens when you turn to that person and you say, Are you? Yeah. Right. And you just basically break their pattern for a second and go, Well, they say, Well, yeah, 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 I am. And you say, Really? And again, you're trying to snap them out of this, just the words, right? And, and that cross to bear and say, well, how are you really? Well, then how would you change that, right? Mm-hmm. And being mindful of like, wait a second, okay, yeah, may, I'm busy, but what could I do to change that? Because a lot of people are just in these, I, I call them, they're entrenched.
0: In a trance. You know,
1: They're in a trance, and they're also like, I, I've, I'm a visual thinker, they're in this trench. yeah. And we have cultural entrenching, and we also have educational entrenching and one of the things that happens when it comes to educational entrenching is what we watch on TV, what we listen to what goes into what goes basically between these two ears can create this feeling of just worthlessness, you know being out of the loop you know it, it's a bad place to be but they need to have respect for themselves they need to be aware of how they're performing. Not just in their work world, but in their life, how they're feeling. You know, are they working out enough? Are they getting those big rocks in? I mean, you know that analogy of the big rocks. Mm. You get the big rocks in the box first. Mm. Then you can put the small rocks. And then you can put the sand, right? And then mm. you can fill it with water. Mm. That's really filling that box up. But a lot of people fill it with the water first. Yep. And then the little sand and then the pebbles. Yep. And they're like, oh, wait a second. I haven't worked out in weeks. Yeah. I haven't eaten well. Right. I haven't hugged my wife. Those are the big rocks. That's all going to matter in the
0: end. I hope you enjoyed that first half of the interview. Be sure to tune into the second part of the interview in the next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?